questions though before we jump into things for today customers cannot get information directly from from the data and as a matter of fact that's a really good question and i don't know that we we talked about this at great great length um, but it's really important and so give me a second here and what i want to do is is let me draw a picture to to illustrate this because it, even though it's not um, something we've talked about before it really is something that we perhaps should have so let me let me redraw the diagram that i drew before but um, maybe in a slightly different way okay um, at the heart of our erp system we have a a database and we talked about this as being the data layer I have heard it sometimes referred to as the database layer, but really we usually just use the term data layer, or sometimes this is called uh, the persistence layer. And the reason for that is the role of this layer is to store all of our data and make sure nothing ever gets away from us. Now, in fact, this is a very challenging role for this database to fulfill if we think in terms of a company like Walmart, for example, that actually might be running millions of transactions through this database every minute. So this has got to be uh, very much performance tuned to be able to store our information. But fundamentally, all the database concerns itself with is, is the storage of data. The next level up, which I'll just illustrate here by a box, is our application layer. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the application layer is where all of our, our application logic, all of our business rules, really all of our business processes this is where they are are defined and there's a very important relationship here between the application layer and the database layer and that is the application layer essentially supervises what goes into the database and what comes out of the database and that's particularly important in that we have up here our presentation layer or our client layer, which is what the end user interacts with. And, and in our case, this would be uh, the SAP GUI. Now, when I use the term client here, I, I'm not using it in the same sense of the three-digit number that is the top of the organizational hierarchy. Um, we're talking about the client here as just being the consumer of the overall functionality of this system. Now, the reason why this structure is so important is because the application layer is going to enforce our business rules. Where companies get themselves in trouble is when they create a system that allows business rules to be circumvented. And let me give you an example. Somewhere in this database is every purchase order we have issued. And maybe our business rules dictate that in order for a purchase order to go out that's in excess of a million dollars, it has to be approved by our company president. Well, what's going to enforce that rule? The application layer enforces that rules. 
all the database does is store the information. So you could imagine in our database, we might have a table that has a row in it that says, okay, here's an order for Acme Anvils, and it has all the different facts related to that order. And right here is a field that says, has the president approved this or not? And if there's a one in this field, that means the president has approved it. If there's a zero in that field, it means the president hasn't approved it. Well, if I can go directly into the database, I could change that to a one, even if the president hasn't approved it. And so that's why we do not operate directly on the database ever. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but this database operates under what's called the sealed database concept, which means that we do not interact directly with this database ever. Because if we do so, we violate this seal. And we no longer have a fully secure system. Now this is very important because literally this would be like have you ever seen like those trucks going down the highway and they have like locks on them and stuff but then on the door there's like these little metal things that are like tags that are expected to be intact when the truck gets to its destination because that proves that nobody has opened the door well our database has this too and if we ever start interacting with our database in an inappropriate fashion stored somewhere in that database and a place that we don't know where it is will be record of the fact that we have unsealed the database. When our auditors come in, one of the first things they will do is check to see whether our database is sealed. If our database is unsealed, we have problems because this is now putting us in jeopardy perhaps of violating things like the Sarbanes-Oxley Act and other things of that sort, and this is how people wind up going to jail, okay? So the whole reason why a company buys into this architecture is at least in part because nobody wants to go to jail, okay? So we buy a database, we hook it up to the application layer, and we tell the application layer, you manage the database. And so anytime we want to put information into the database, anytime we want information out of the database, we do that through the application layer. Okay? Questions? Yes, sir. Well, then I have a thought question. It's not like the same thing with a binary code, like you're like the president approving like zero doesn't mean it's, it's not approved and one is you're approving it so that and you're like the president, so that's even though you're it's kind of like the binary code. Right. That was my example here, that was the idea behind that. Other questions? So did that, did that answer the question that you had about that? Because it is, it is a very important element of the architecture here. Yeah, see, the web server would be an example of a type of client. So we would put it up here, and the web server still hits the application layer. And uh, for that reason, for that uh, along those same lines, if this is like a mobile app, it's still going to hit the application. Everything goes in through the application layer, which is nice because that gives us, from a computing perspective, it gives us a, an element of abstraction. If we can connect to the application layer, we don't even have to worry about the database. The application layer takes care of that for us.
So that was a really good question. I'm glad it was asked. Other questions? All right, so give me a moment here to get us to the slide where um, we left off last time. We are, of course, in our discussion of enterprise systems. I'm not sure if we'll be able to finish this discussion today, but I would like to at least position us so that if we don't get it finished today, uh, we'll be in good position to wrap it up when we next get together on, on Tuesday. And some of the things that we will talk about are things now that you have seen in your reading. But my hope is that in talking about these things, we will uh, perhaps flesh it out a little bit further in your understanding and, and clarify any, any questions you might have. So last time we started talking about organizational data. And so now let's dig into this concept of organizational data in a little bit more detail. And we had a, a question about this a moment ago, and that is, okay, what is a client? And I want to answer this for you from multiple different perspectives, some of which we have talked about, or at least alluded to, and, and some of which we have not. A client, from a computational view, is a self-contained unit in an SAP system with separate master records and a complete set of database tables. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm going to draw a picture here at the bottom of my slide. Um, so let's assume that this rectangle here illustrates one computer, a server, that's sitting in a room somewhere, and it's a pretty powerful server. On that server, there could actually be multiple clients. So here's client 100, here's client 200, here's client 300, client 400, client 500. What this definition tells us, it is a self-contained unit in an SAP system with separate master records and a complete set of database tables. So let's take that sense part. Separate master records. So that's a reference to master data. So what that would mean is that if over here in client 100, I create a material called EPAD 1000, which is the elbow pad product that you guys are creating and working with for your labs. That exists in the context of client 100 but it doesn't exist in the context of any of these other clients. Because each of these clients has their own separate set of master records. The second part of that is, and a complete set of database tables. Now this is where this gets a little bit, um, a little bit challenging to think about. We were just talking about the, the data layer and the fact that this interacts with a database. Well, I'm going to draw, this is the database here, okay? So once again, this would be the application layer where the clients are, and, and this is the database layer. Let's assume that there is a need for 15,000 tables in order for us to store all of the SAP ERP information. 
at what those tables are is not of any importance to us, but our information is spread across 15,000 tables. Does this mean that if there are five clients and there's 15,000 tables that compose an SAP system, does that mean that there are 75,000 tables in this database because we have five clients times 15,000? It doesn't mean that. And in fact, what it means is every one of these clients has to have a complete set of tables, but the separate here modifies master records. The database tables could actually all be the same database and the same tables. But what we have to have is we have to have segregation of information. Now, as a way of continuing to explain that, let's go into our ERP system and look at a, a couple of transactions. When we log in, not that it's that magical a number, but we log into client number 303. You maybe have already memorized that just from having typed it a few times already, or maybe you have to look it up every time, but regardless, that's a, a fact that probably you're familiar with. If I run transaction SCC4, this lists all of the clients that are in existence on this computer right now. And by this computer, I mean the application server. And you can see there's our number 303 client right there. But you can also see there are, in fact, 95 clients in existence on this computer right now. Well, how's that going to work out? Does that mean if somebody in client number 315 puts information into the system that it could disrupt your work? Well, no. The master records are kept separately from one another. The key here is that all of these are in the same database, but the database is going to enforce segregation of, of information between them. And let me illustrate that to you. I'm going to run another transaction here, SE16N, which will allow me to dig into uh, one of the database tables. And there is a, a table out there, T001, not a super well-named table, but this table in the database stores something that you might recognize when we look at the information. And that is, lo and behold, here are all of the company codes that exist in our system and, and certain very interesting facts about them. For example, here's the company code that I have been using for the sake of my work here. And we can see that my company code is US02, uh, the name 02 Global Bike. It's based in Dallas. I'm using uh, US currency. English is my language. My general ledger is general ledger 02. Um, and, and we can see certain key facts about my company. By the way, this is a good table that I can look at to see if anything is goofed up in the system. And, and I don't know, I always have to look up what number goes with what person, so I have no idea who that is. But, but we can see here there's a problem with company code 16 because the, the general ledger code 
isn't matching up with the pattern that we would expect here. It also looks like uh, number 23 here. I don't know what's going on, but they don't have a credit control area assigned. Maybe they just haven't made it to that particular part of the lab yet, or maybe that's a problem that they are yet to discover. But the point of this is, when I asked the system to show me all of this information, it is going into the database and showing me what is in table T001. But if we think about this like a database would, okay, and, and some of you are going to have more background to leverage this than others, is it showing me everything that is in table T001? It's not. How do we know that's the case, logically? Can someone explain to me how you could come to the conclusion that that is not showing me everything that's in table T001? What did I just show you before I showed you this? The clients. How many clients were there? Like 95, right? What is the likelihood that we're the only client that's actually made company codes and the other 94 that nobody's done anything with. That, that's not very likely. Those are assigned to other universities all across the, really across the world. Um, so there are in fact other company codes that exist in the database, but I don't get to see them. Because when I logged in, I logged in as being in client number 303 says so right here in my little system bar, client 303. So anytime I ask the system for information, it only gives me back the information for my client number. So it enforces a security model. So if we go back to the slide that brought us on this particular journey here, a client is a self-contained unit in an SAP system with separate master records and a complete set of database tables. So we are actually sharing that database table with all the clients. But from a logical perspective, when I go into the system, I can only see the things that pertain to my client number. And that's part of the overall design of the system questions about that all right so continuing on here another facet of a client is as we have observed before it is the root of the organizational hierarchy it is the highest organizational element so if we think in terms of a hierarchical tree structure it's going to be at the very top of the tree and everything else is going to be hanging down from that it is very important that all companies that have a relationship within one, with one another be contained in the same client. So what I'm saying here is, if I work for Alpha Company and we run SAP ERP, and when we set up our system, and we get to pick this, we decided to be client number 287 because that was our uh, database administrator's favorite number. So she picked out number 287 and so we're client number 287. And five years later we buy another company and they run SAP ERP which makes our lives a lot easier 
when it comes time to integrating our various records because we are now affiliated with one another. We have to be in the same client. So we are going to have to migrate their records into our system, or we're going to have to migrate our records into their system. But all companies that are related to one another must be in the same client. Generally speaking, we will not see what I just showed you in a real-world production ins instance. In a real-world production instance, it will generally be one client per server. And the reason for that goes back to a point that I mentioned a few moments ago, which is if we are Walmart, we're running millions of transactions through that system every minute. It's really not going to be possible for Walmart and Sam's Club to, to be on the same machine because the volume of data would just be too extreme. So generally what you're looking at is one client per SAP production instance or per, per machine. Now here's an important fact that we will come back to a lot this semester in our discussion. Master data is created at the client level. So my example a moment ago of creating an elbow pad 1000 material data is, is master data. All master data is created at the client level. And the significance of that will become apparent as, as we continue on here. One of the things that most people don't have an appreciation of that I hope you will develop an appreciation of as the semester goes along is really how artfully the system has been designed to allow us to accomplish things that, that we need to in, in running our business. And one of the elements of the design of the system is that all master data is created at the client level. Now, I illustrated that with uh, material. What's another example of master data? Customers. So anytime I create a customer, and so I create Acme Anvils as one of my customer, it is created at the client level. So let's file that away in the back of our brain, and we'll make reference to it a lot as we go along together today. Sorry that I wound up writing on top of this, so let me uh, erase all of that. So some configuration and data elements can span across multiple clients within the same database, but most cannot. So I just wanted to kind of introduce that as an aside. Uh, it is possible if we have multiple clients that are running on the same machine, it is possible if we want to make this happen to allow certain things that we do in configuration to exist across multiple clients. And I'll come back to this slide for the sake of your writing this down. But let me show you this in the system and show you how a company would, would actually enable this. If we go back to the transaction I showed you a moment ago, SCC4, 
and I go down to my client here. Notice that I am currently in display mode. If I hit this pencil right here, I could toggle into change mode and edit the things we are about to look at. If I look at the details here, and it, it may be hard to see, particularly because some of these things are grayed out here, but it tells us, okay, here's the actual name of our system. Uh, Here's who actually um, built our system for us, Sandy. I think it's Sandy Mollenberg, who works at the hosting site in Milwaukee. And the standard currency defined for the system is US dollars. The role of this system is for training and education. Notice there are actually other kinds of systems there, but we're using this as a training system. But notice this right here, cross-client object changes so this is where I could go in and say, okay, it's possible for changes to the repository and cross-client customizing allowed. Which what that would mean is we could go in and in our process of configuring our client could also be defining how other clients worked as well. Now that would be useful if this were a real corporate situation and we were setting up this client for us to use, but we also wanted a testing system that would mirror all of the decisions that we have made, we might turn on this cross-client customizing and kind of configure more than one client at, at the same time. So I wanted to show you that just to illustrate that if we wanted to, we would have the ability to configure a cross-client. But that is not at all typical, and there are certain things that we cannot do if we want to adopt that, that particular approach. So this is our client. This is at the top of our organizational hierarchy, and it has the characteristics that, that we have described here. So let's move down the hierarchy to the next big element, a company code. A company code is a distinct legal entity contained within an ERP system. Now, what does that phrase, distinct legal entity, mean? That's a very, very important concept here. That means that legally speaking, and do we get to decide the law? No, we do not. Who decides the law? Generally speaking, the government decides the law. So what this, when it says distinct legal entity means, we are talking about a business entity that matches up with the requirements that are set forth by our government that requires us to keep our own books, or another way of saying that, keep our own financial records and we are required by the government to report on our operations independently. So if we go back to, and I won't for the sake of time, the picture I showed you before, of all of the different companies that compose the craft, the craft conglomerate, every one of those companies pays taxes separately from the other company. So I think one of the companies there was Cadbury. Cadbury pays taxes. Their taxes are totally separate from, I think, Jell-O was another company there. Okay? So when the government looks at this, and from our perspective, when we are thinking about this, 
how do we decide what's a company code? And the answer is, okay, what are the governmental requirements regarding paying taxes? And if the government says, you there, you meet the requirement for paying taxes, and you are a single entity that pays one set of taxes, you are a company code. Now, what else is extremely important about a company code? And I will repeat this so many times this semester, you will be sick of hearing me say it, but it is such an important fact. Financial accounting revolves around the company code. So that is why in your labs, every one of you created your own company code, which basically means, congratulations, each of you are running your own distinct legal entity at this point. Which means that if this were a real world situation, each of you would have to be paying taxes independently for your own company. That's what we're saying here. But each of your companies has its own general ledger. And the reason why each of your companies has to have your own general ledger is so you can pay taxes appropriately. And you can report on company, on company activities independently. So everything that we do in the context of financial accounting revolves around the company code. Accounts are managed by company code. All right, and now we have our first element of what seems like it might be a conflict in what I have told you today. Who has been listening close enough and can tell me why that statement would seem to be in conflict with something I told you less than five minutes ago? What am I talking about? What's the conflict here? Okay, I get where you're going, but this has nothing to do with database tables. Okay? What are some of the things I told you on the last slide? Look at your notes, the diligent things that you have written down about what I said. And is there anything on that last slide that seems to conflict with what that says right there? Master data is created at the client level. What does that say right there? Accounts are managed by the company code. The key word here is the data is created at the client level but managed at the company code level. What in the world is, what, first of all, why is that important? And and why is that anything that we would, would care about? And let me explain, and I don't have enough room here to uh, write on the slide, so let me go to the whiteboard here. All right, so everything that I put on this whiteboard is in a singular client. And one of you decides to create a company, 101146, and this is um, ETSU stuff. And this is a customer. Really doesn't matter whether this is a customer or a vendor, but this is a customer in this situation. What do we know about this customer in regards to all of your company codes? Can you see this? 
Some people are looking at me like I don't want to commit. A few of you are doing the whole, I can nod my head like half a millimeter, and that means if I'm right, I'm going to get credit, and if I'm not right, none of my classmates will laugh at you. Okay, well, you can shake your head up and down much more vigorously. Everything in this client is part of our system, and we just established that. Master data is created at the client level. So when you create this account, every company code can see it. But what does this point right here say? Accounts are managed by the company code. So all of you can see this account out here. But what does that mean accounts are managed by company code? Why would that, why is that such a big deal? Why is that so important? Yes, sir. Okay, so, so you are company code 15 and you are company code 27. You can both see this customer, but you can only see your information about this customer and you can only see your information about this customer. And why is that important? Well, one reason that's important is if you sell something to this customer and in your records you record that they owe you $8,750, your company is entitled to collect that money. Which means you need to have separate records of your sales to that company. What you don't want to have happen is you sell it and he sends him a bill and collects the money. Because for financial accounting purposes, we all have to keep our own individual financial records. And we wouldn't like the idea of we make the sale and somebody else gets the money. So the, client, the, the information about this company, the information about this customer is created at the client level. But our relationship with this customer is managed individually for each company code. And the reason why it has to be managed at the company code level is, is why? What's in bold on this? Financial accounting. The answer to half of the questions I asked you, I will ask you about financial accounting, will be company code or vice versa, okay? The reason why every company code has to manage their own relationship with this is for the sake of financial accounting purposes. So the system is designed with, with this structure in place, which means that ETSU stuff, this particular company, might be one that half of your company codes sell to. Half of you don't, half of you do. But if you do sell to this customer, your records are separate in the system from every other company code that sells to this customer. Yes, sir. Credit control areas are different. So let's be real careful. We're only talking about company codes at this point. Um, maybe. 
Well, we'll come back to that at some point here. Let me give you another example just to illustrate this that all of you have experienced even though you did not realize it. ERP SIM. Remember playing that game? There were only two vendors that existed in the game. As I recall, there was vendor 01, which was Continental Foods. And there was vendor 02, which was something or other uh, packaging. Continental Foods sold every company code stuff you could eat. Oats, wheat, blueberries, all of that stuff. Vendor 02, I think I said company code a second ago, I misspoke, vendor 01, Continental Foods, sold you everything you could eat. Vendor 02 sold all of the different companies the bags and boxes, the packaging. That's why some of this stuff took different numbers of days to come in. It might take four days for you to get the foodstuffs and five days for you to get packaging because it was coming from different vendors. If you were company code AA, and someone else was on company code CC and you placed orders, those orders were totally kept separate in the system. And if company code AA ran up a bill with Continental Foods for $18,000, they were on the hook to pay that off. And that has nothing at all to do with company code CC. In the system, the vendors are created at the client level. So every company code could interact with those vendors if they elected to do so. But when they did so, their records were managed at the company code level so that our financial accounting records would be correct. Questions? Business transactions are carried out at the company code level. Clients do not engage in business. Plants do not engage in business. Credit control areas do not engage in business. Business transactions are carried out at the company code level. Why are business transactions carried out at the company code level? Financial accounting reasons, okay? The reason why, and the reason why I'm hitting you over the head this real hard is if you remember that principle, it will help you out all over the place and different things that we will see this semester. If I place an order with a company, that's a legal obligation. If I send them a purchase order and they accept it, who is authorized in a legal context to make that kind of commitment? A company code is, because a company code is a distinct legal entity in the eyes of the law. And so, business transactions are carried out at the company code level. By definition, company codes do not span country borders. Why do they not span country borders? Financial accounting, why? Tax laws might be different, currency might be different. Just being a business in the United States is very different than being a business in Canada. And so, you might say, well, suppose I have a multinational company. Well, guess what? I might think of myself as a multinational company in my ERP system. Those are all distinct company codes. Because a company code cannot span across country borders. And as we just established, the reason is for financial accounting reasons. 
Every country has its ability to make different laws regarding what is a distinct legal entity and, and what are your requirements as far as paying taxes and so on. And so the company code is the focus of how I implement that in my ERP system. Now, a company code can only be in one client. But um, the inverse of that is um, a client may contain more than one company code. A company code can only be in one client. And in order for a client to be live, it has to contain at least one active company code. Why? Why, in order for me to actually use a system, does it have to have at least one active company code? Financial accounting, okay? I can't execute business without financial accounting. Financial accounting is like the nucleus upon which everything else revolves. And so, because of that, I have to, one of the first things I do when I set up an ERP system is I go in and I set up my company code and then I define various things related to my company code. And, and let's kind of see that here real quick in, in our lab work that we have done. And if we go all the way back, phase one, it's no accident or it's not in any way arbitrary that the first thing that we did was start with financial accounting. And along those lines, it was not arbitrary that the very, very first thing we did in phase one was define a company code because everything in financial accounting revolves around the company code. And what you wound up doing as you went throughout this phase is you created all of these other things and you attached it to the company code. The company code is like the mothership around which everything revolves in financial accounting. And so it plays a very, very important role in our, our ERP system. So let's just read through this slide real quick, make sure we got all of this. Company code, distinct legal entity, has its own books, meaning its own general ledger, and we'll dig into that more in a later discussion. It reports its own operations independently, and that's largely because of legal requirements. It is the central element of financial accounting. So all of our accounts are managed by company code. And by the way, that's somewhat of a vague statement which actually has multiple different ways we could take it, all of which are correct. By accounts, we could be talking about customer accounts. By accounts, we could be talking about vendor accounts. Or by accounts, we could be talking about financial accounting accounts. All of those are managed by the company code at the company code level. Business transactions carried out the company code level. Company codes don't span across country borders. And then we have the relationship here uh, between the client and the company code. Any questions about this? All right, we're talking about organizational data. So at this point, we've kind of done this. In our labs, here's our client number 303 which I don't remember what it was called in the last, you know, we just kind of looked at what the client was named a moment ago, but let's just decide that client 303 is actually um, ETSU Bikes Incorporated. And then in the labs, all of you have gone in and created your own distinct company code. And 
I think that you've used the code for that of like BI pound pound. So we have BI02, BI03, BI04. All of those entities are, are now hanging off of this client in our diagram here, illustrating the, the points that we have seen. So let's add some other things to our hierarchy here. A sales organization is the central organizational element that controls terms of sale to the customer. Now, for a lot of these things like sales organizations and so on, we're going to dig into them in much greater depth in a later discussion and flesh this out further. But right now, the important thing for us to understand here is this aspect of controlling terms of sale. So the sales organization is what will dictate things like how long the customer has to pay, pricing structure, other things like that, uh, other things like that are things that are determined by the sales organization. So if we have people in our company that their job is to do those things, we would say, okay, these group of people, those are our sales organization. And in fact, we can have multiple sales organizations. We can have as many sales organizations as we want. We could have West Coast sales and East Coast sales. We could have Tennessee sales. We could have Virginia sales. We could have a different sales organization for every state. We could have 15 in every state. We can have as many of these or as few of these as we want based on how we want to operate our business. But the idea here is the sales organization is what's going to control our selling relationship with our customer. A distribution channel is the mechanism through which goods and or services reach the customer. I always find it hard on tests and quizzes to ask questions about distribution channels without using the word channel. But one of the words I have come up with that sometimes work is the word pipeline. Let's think about this for a moment in terms of moving of products like petroleum. I could move petroleum by putting it in train cars and hooking it up to a train and driving it or whatever you do to a train across country. I could put that oil in big old tankers and hook it up to semi-trucks and drive those trucks across the country. Or I could build a pipeline and just continuously flow oil through the pipeline. What I have just described is three different distribution channels. Distribution channels are just the, the way that I move products or services from me to my customer. Yes, sir. Just like in the ERP sale, what we've done usually because uh, you had like 10, 10, 12, and 14 based on um, like we were doing like um, hypermarkets, convenience stores, and grocery stores. Absolutely right. And so the idea is that we said, I want to, we want to think of these as three different distribution channels. And what did that let you do in the context of ERP SIM? What could you do differently for each of those distribution channels? You could set prices differently. Now, that's all you could do differently in ERP SIM. But what I'm telling you is, and, and what you'll come to realize a lot this semester, is there were other things that you could have done. The only reason it worked that way in the context of ERP SIM was because the way the system was configured. 
you know, you could have, uh, several times I've had students ask me, can't we set different prices in different regions of the country? Not in the way ERP SIM is configured. If that were a real company, yeah, you could absolutely do that. You just have to change the configuration. But in the configuration of ERP SIM, you're exactly right. You had three different distribution channels, DC 10, 12, and 14. One of those was convenience stores. One of those was grocery stores. One of those was hypermarkets. And you could set prices distinctly for, for that distribution channel. Division. A division is a logical grouping of related products. It's a way of us looking across our organization and just dividing things up into chunks based on some methodology that we think works for us. Um, for example, and I have no idea if it's still organized this way or not, but Ford used to have an automotive division for like small cars. And then they had an automotive division for SUVs. And then they had an automotive division for light trucks. And then they had an automotive division for big trucks. And what that probably meant was there was a vice president in charge of every one of those divisions. And they kind of ran it almost like a company within a company. Divisions just give us ways of looking across our organization and chunking it up based on related products. In the labs you're doing this semester, you have, uh, I believe, the bicycles division and the accessories division. Not a lot of divisions, there's just two of them. In ERP SIM, divisions didn't even come into play. But hypothetically, you know, you had one division that was just the muesli division. Maybe your company in the future would decide to diversify and start selling dairy products. And then you could have the muesli division and the dairy products division. And we'll define these things in a little bit more technical uh, dimension as we go along here. But the reason why we're focusing on this is these are the organizational entities that relate to the sales process. The consolidation of these three is what's called the sales area. A sales area is a unique combination of sales organization, distribution channel, and division. So I have illustrated it here on this slide with this little stack of cards, if you will. So a sales organization, excuse me, a sales area, and we gotta get our terminology squared away here. A sales area always consists of three things. A sales organization, a distribution channel, and a division. So if we look at these cards, my hypothetical example here is Berlin Sales is the sales organization. The distribution channel is wholesale, and the division is dry cereal. Now, we have another sales area that's Berlin sales, wholesale, but cooked cereal. So when I say a unique combination, anytime one of these three things changes now, we're talking about a different sales area. The reason why this is important will, will become more evident as we go along, but fundamentally what this does 
is it allows us to, and this is the first time probably we've seen this, but we will see this a lot, this is all about tracking and all about different ways of, of keeping stats on things. If I worked for the Berlin Sales Organization, you can bet that one of the things that the people in my company are going to want to know is how much did we sell last quarter or how much did we sell last year. So every time we make a sale, we want to stamp it with our sales organization because we want to get credit for that. Well, along those same lines, the people that are in charge of the divisions, they want to get credit for it. Hey, I run the dry cereal division. So I want that to show up in my statistics as well that last quarter we sold this much dry cereal. And the vice president of the cooked cereal division wants to get credit for when we sell cooked cereal. And the person who's in charge of the various distribution channels, they want records kept in that same way. Now, let's look at this in our ERP system and let me show you something that probably you have never looked at before. Let me see if I can just find this here. Logistics, uh, sales and distribution, sales, order, display. I'm just going to pull up any old order that's in our system and at this point we should have a good number. I thought we'd have more than this out there. Uh, it shows us, uh, I guess we haven't sold stuff yet. You guys have bought stuff but we haven't really done a lot of selling yet. Looks like I've done that and looks like whoever number 8 and number 20 are are a little bit further along in their lab work than some of you. But notice right here when we do the search, look at this right here. Distribution channel, wholesale, division. Uh, this is accessories. And so we're, we're starting right here. Sales organization, UE2, UE30, UE20. I could come over here and I can search for things in different ways. Or obviously, I could sort this in different ways. But we see even at this level that the information we just talked about is here. But let me actually pull up this sales order. Okay, here's a sale my company made, elbow pads, road helmets. Um, you can see it was to uh, DC bikes and it was a $3,509 sale. All of you uh, will make this in doing your lab work. We have this sales tab. This sales tab captures a lot of the specific facts about this sale. You have to scroll down to see it, but look right here, sales area. What does the sales area consist of? There's the sales organization. There's the distribution channel. There's the division. Every sale we make will have those three things recorded about it, without exception. And those three things are called a sales area. Every sale will have it. And why? It's our way of keeping track of things. It's the way we put things into the system so that later on when we want to create reports, it's already organized in a way that makes it possible for us to do that. Questions about this? So we just added four more organizational entities here. So what we're saying is now, here's our client. Here's a company code. I'm not going to draw 30 of them. A company code could have eight different 
sales organizations. So now we have eight more circles hanging off of that thing. And we could have more circles representing distribution channels, and we could have more circles representing divisions, and then any set of those three that we could draw circles around is a sales area. Now let me give you an example of, of why a sales area would be very important. Maybe, let's stick with Berlin sales here for a moment. Maybe Berlin sales wholesales dry cereal. But in the cooked cereal market, we don't wholesale at all. We only retail. We do not wholesale that product, which means that we do not have a sales area that involves cooked cereal and it being wholesaled. And so this also gives us a way of, of defining different rules. Practical example, a number of years ago, when e-commerce first kind of came into being, there was huge contention about sales territories. Because what happened before the era of the internet was, if you were a dealer for a particular company's retail products, you had a territory. And so you might have the Tennessee territory. So there is my beautiful artistic rendering of Tennessee. Now, if you were the dealer for, let's say, this particular brand of jewelry, that meant that you had the right to sell in the state of Tennessee and no one else could sell in the state of Tennessee without your explicit permission because that was your territory. And you were very happy about that. You probably worked very hard to get that territory and you might have even had to pay a lot of money. Well, along comes the internet. And the main parent company decides to start selling on the internet. So this is the parent company. Do you think I am concerned if I have the Tennessee territory about the fact that my parent company is now going to sell online? You bet I'm concerned about that. Because now all of a sudden, people that live in the state of Tennessee might start buying online. And I'm not going to make money off of that. So, at least historically, what would happen is anytime someone living in Tennessee bought from the parent company, the parent company would pay a commission to whoever had this territory, even though they had no part in the sale whatsoever. You know, just because they had that territory, they kind of got this little, okay, here, we'll give you this. Please don't give us a hard time about selling online. Over time, that tended to go away. And so now I might have the Tennessee territory, which means that I make money anytime I sell in the state of Tennessee and no one else can sell in a physical store in the state of Tennessee, but online sales greatly complicate that. And to further explain this, I can't set up an online store without the permission of the parent company because only the parent company is authorized to sell over the internet. So I could not open up an internet sales distribution channel because that would not be allowed with my contractual relationship with my parent company. So I can create all kinds of rules related to what would be acceptable combinations of sales organizations, distribution channels, and divisions. If we go back to my Ford example, I might open a Ford dealership in Tennessee and be told by the Ford company, you can sell consumer cars and SUVs, but you can't sell light trucks and heavy trucks 
because another dealership already has that locked down and we have a contractual relationship that they'll sell the big trucks for us. So this forms the basis of a lot of contracting that actually happens in, in business. Questions or comments about this before we, we move along? All right, so these are organizational elements, organizational data, specifically in the context of sales. More organizational data in the context of logistics now. Plants. Plants are organizational data. They're organizational entities. What is a plant? A plant is a location where goods or services are produced, maintained, or distributed. So the term we use is a plant. And probably most of you, when you hear the word plant, you imagine a big building with a smokestack and assembly lines and maybe robots and those kinds of things. That would be a plant. But beyond that, a plant is anything where goods or services are produced, maintained, or distributed. That means that if I go to a chiropractor, that's a plant. Why do I say that? Because services are distributed there. The chiropractor, you know, does whatever he does to align my spine or whatever other things that chiropractors do, and the service was rendered at that facility, that makes it a plant. I have a building that actually is a just a like we would think of it maybe as a storage location. It's a big old shed. And I put stuff into that shed and I, I, I keep them there. Well, goods or services are produced, maintained, or distributed. It's a plant. If there's stuff sitting there, we might call it a distribution center, but in the context of SAP ERP, it's all plants. Any place where goods or services are made, they're held, they're maintained, or they're distributed as a plant. What's that now? I didn't understand the first part of what you said. What's that? Yeah. Olive Garden is a plant in the context of SAP ERP. If we're talking about, you know, Olive Garden, they might say, we have 800 restaurants. In the context of SAP ERP, they have 800 plants. They have a Johnson City plant because it makes, produces, and distributes food. So, yeah, that's what it would be. Now, think about that. Olive Garden. Does the individual Johnson City Olive Garden pay taxes? If it's company owned, no. Olive Garden, the massive company, if they own all the restaurants, they pay taxes. So Olive Garden, the massive organization that we typically would think of as the company headquarters, that's the company code. And every individual restaurant they have is a different plant. That's how we organize and connect these pieces up. So in some spaces, in some situations, you might think, okay, this is a place where they make toys. Well, obviously you make toys in a plant, but the actual definition is much more, more broad than that. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Since each store is owned separately by a different individual, 
exactly so. Because of one very important fact you just said, which is they pay taxes separately, which means separate financial accounting records, which means they are not a plant, they're now a company code. If it probably would be both well the key thing here is that the plan and I just get the plan is the central organizational element in logistics so if they're selling stuff which obviously they are they would be you know the company code might be thought of as the owner has an office in their home or maybe even an office somewhere they might think of that as the you know the company code doesn't actually have to be a physical place the company code is just a uh, maybe even a, just a circle on a diagram. So what you'd have is you'd have the, the PALS of East Tennessee company code. And maybe that company code owns four different PALS restaurants. Those would be four different plants. Okay? Because we're making and we're distributing stuff out of them. Yes, sir? The fundamental answer to that question always comes back to what are we doing with paying taxes? What does the law tell us? Because company code, financial accounting. And so, you know, in, in the PALS example, every one of those different PALS owners has their own set of books. Because probably some of them are more profitable than others because some of them might be better at running their businesses. And so, uh, if in the eyes of the law they're separate entities, then they're classified as such in our ERP system. We go here and then I'll go here. Yes, sir. We can, the key here is, and, and, and we haven't talked about this yet, financial accounting company code represents the highest level of aggregation upon which taxes are paid. But there could be within that smaller entities that pay things like state taxes, local taxes, and so on. But the key is, we would never, if, if when it comes to our relationship with the federal government, with the IRS, we, if we file one return, we're one company code. Um, and then our relationship with other entities might require us to carve up the pie a little bit differently, but we, the company code is still just based on that federal relationship that we have. Okay? And you had a question. That was your question too. Okay, so great minds think alike here. All right, so every plant is owned by only one company code. Why? Financial accounting, okay? I'm telling you, that will, that will get you like 30% of the questions on our midterm exam if you can remember and apply that principle. Every plant belongs to only one company code because something tells me the people that work in that plant want to get paid. And something tells me the people or the things that happen in that plant are going to generate expenses. Those expenses are going to have to be represented in our financial accounting records. Therefore, every plant does not exist as some kind of freestanding free agent. Every plant belongs to one and only one company code for the sake of capturing the financial accounting activities of what happens at that plant. A company code, though, can have many, many plants. 
you know, and this goes back to our Olive Garden example where they have many, many different restaurants. Or if I'm a manufacturing facility, I can have, you know, 10 different plants all scattered across the United States. That's fine. But every plant belongs to just one company code, but a company code can have multiple plants. Now, one of the things that we see within a plant, and, and you notice here, there, we're not going to talk about as many entities and logistics as we did with sales. Sales, uh, there's a lot of different people and parts of our organization that want us to keep track of their activity for the sake of allocating credit. Logistics is all about blasting stuff out as quick as we can, and so we don't necessarily have to keep as, as fine-grained as statistics about these things. Every plant has storage locations. And a storage location is simply a place within a plant where goods are stored. Now by definition, every plant must have at least one storage location. If my plant is a hair salon, the storage location might be the closet that we keep the shampoo in. But the fact is, every plant has to have at least one storage location because as you either have seen or will see, when we buy stuff, we tell it to go to this plant and be put in this storage location. And when we sell stuff, we say fulfill this order from this plant out of this storage location. So storage locations are really key in that they give us a place to keep track of where stuff is and how much of it we have for the sake of logistics. Okay, a customer just ordered 50 of these from me. I only have 40 in my Atlanta plant, so I'll send them 40 from Atlanta, and then I have 10 more in my Memphis plant. So I'll send those 10 from that location. Have you uh, ever ordered from Amazon recently? Um, I, I order from them a lot. And I've noticed that a lot of the orders that I place from them are fulfilled from a distribution center in Columbia, South Carolina. You can tell that kind of where the shipping address comes from. But every once in a while, I'll order something. I notice it comes from someplace else. Maybe it comes from Memphis. I've gotten some stuff that's come out of Kentucky. Well, the Amazon system is tuned so that as they are looking to fulfill an order, they look for, okay, what plant has stock that's closest to where the customer is? And then if they don't find that, they just kind of work their way outward, searching for the location that actually has the material that the customer has ordered. So that's this role that storage locations play for us. Every storage location belongs to only one plant. But a storage location code may be the same in multiple plants. And let me explain this because you will see this in your lab. I will forewarn you that I love to ask questions about this on quizzes in the midterm exam, but I'm going to give you an example that I, I think will make this really, really simple for you. First of all, in our ERP system, let's say we have adopted the naming convention that we have in our lab where all of your different company codes begin BI and then have a two-digit number. So we have BI03, we have BI04, and so on. So anytime I see BI04 in relation to a company code, I know which company code that is. But how does that work with storage locations? Since I just said here, a storage location code may be the same in multiple plants. 
Well, let's think about it this way. Let's think about ETSU as being an entity where educational services are, are rendered. And in that context, every building on campus could be thought of as a different plant. So right now, you are taking this class in the Nix plant. And someone else might be taking a class in the Brown plant, and someone else might be taking a class in the Sam Wilson plant, and so on. We are meeting in, what's this room number? 330? 332. Okay. That, we are meeting in Nix Hall 332. Nix Hall is the plant. 332 is the equivalent of the storage location in this example. If this is storage location 332, does that mean there can't be a Sam Wilson Hall room 332? Or there can't be a room 332 in Brown Hall? Chances are pretty good that around this campus, there's lots of storage locations designated with 332. But there's only one in Nix Hall, okay? So a storage location code could be reused a lot, but it can only exist one time in a given plant. So what you're actually going to see happen is you're going to create different plants. And as I recall, you're going to create a Dallas plant, and you're going to create a San Diego plant, and you're going to create a Miami plant. And you're going to create storage locations for trading goods and finished goods and raw materials. And you may not pick up on this, but not every one of these plants has all three of these. Some of the plants have all three, but some of the plants have a subset of them. But it's not a problem that plant DL04 has storage location TG04, and so does plant SD04 also has storage location TG04. It's not a problem because this is a storage location that always exists within the context of a particular plant. So a storage location code, TG04, could be reused many, many times in my system and be referring to different storage locations based on what plant we're referring to. Because a storage location always exists within a plant. And this is where we are going to have to stop for today. But before we do that, let me just say any quick questions before we head out. <laughs>